0: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Live from London. Tom? Live from London. 50 years of that, ladies and gentlemen. Think of it. Um, oh, I, I said ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm, I'm, I have to end that. Uh, it's been a tradition for me on this program. Uh, partly as just a sign of respect to you, the listening audience. Tom?
1: Listening audience
0: yeah uh partly just as a um, a throat clearer before you know to so I can think of what I want to say next uh, but um, since this program has also become a podcast it's been a while now, but I finally received the uh, one page podcast manual. And it informs me in no uncertain terms that uh one is to refer to the listeners as guys, even not guys and gals, according to the podcast manual gals are now officially guys, so hey guys there's a uh <laughs> there's a uh a lot of um, attention being paid by the u uh, s media to the u s media strange that uh, a lot of conferences being held a lot of uh programs being aired on the subject of how do we cover Donald Trump and the answer is not with a uh, large tarp they don't they don't uh, propose that uh or just take away his propicia which would be my uh, suggestion no they they're having these these anguished conversations about um last time i heard this kind of talk was after 911 it was it's it's the Everything's changed. Talk. Um, And, you know, they still um, the cable companies still overcharge you. So uh, as long as that hasn't changed. So one of the things they they discuss in these conferences and on the air blabathons is the question of attention that, uh, of course, Donald Trump craves attention. You may have noticed that, and uh, so should the media lavish all this attention upon him. He's the president of the United States, after all. What? What did I miss? But still, you know, there's, there's. uh, I think the New York Times is spending five million dollars more to uh, buff up its Washington bureau, to staff up its Washington bureau, to cover this guy. Uh, so the question is: Are you are you feeding that? Is it just this insane loop that's developed, where he says something provocative, and the media overreact, and then there's Michael Wolfe in the Hollywood Reporter has this theory that it's just this rather bizarre loop going on, um, and you know there's now now plans based on the first couple of weeks when uh, Saturdays which never used to be a big news day, remember? Oh, well, yeah, Princess Diana died on a Saturday. But still, uh, now they're they're actually having to think about staffing up on Saturdays, of all things. But um, the weekends, the last couple of weeks, have been marked by really large-scale protests. And there are some who are announcing their plans to protest uh, wherever he is and at all of his uh, business locations. And that raises the question, Will he just start bragging about having the largest protests ever? So you, you you can't really escape. But what, guys, I propose journalists should do is uh, practice journalism. Case in point, about a week ago, uh, on Holocaust Remembrance Day, the Trump administration issued what should be a pro forma statement uh, memorializing uh those who were the victims of the Nazi genocide, attempted genocide. And it did not escape public notice that that statement came out without any reference to the Jewish people. And there was a lot of huffing and puffing about it. And finally, and, you know, I think I asked on Twitter to Jared Kirshner, notably a an Orthodox Jewish relative of Trump's, uh, did he see the statement in advance? It turns out, we've learned in the last few days, the author of that statement was another Jewish member of the uh, Obama, <laughs> the Trump inner circle. As a matter of fact, a Holocaust, a, a, a child of Holocaust survivors himself, a gentleman by the name of Boris Epstein. And I thought, well, okay, they're keeping him hidden. He's under wraps. That's why we're not hearing... Anything from him about this statement that. According to the Trump administration, he wrote, then I had a phone conversation with a friend of mine in Washington, a good source who says, oh, no, 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 no. He's he's at all uh, of Sean Spicer's uh, press conferences. He's uh, present when other administration officials are being interviewed. So you could actually just walk up to him, put a mic on him and say. Hey, Boris. What's with the statement about Holocaust Remembrance Day not including any reference to Jews? And nobody's done it yet. There's about uh, three years and, I don't know, 11 months time to do it. Oh, and speaking of which, guys, you may remember Les Moonves of uh, CBS. Not just remember him. Remember that he said about almost a year ago, I think it was last March, that uh, Trump may not be good for the country, but he's good for CBS, meaning he attracts ratings. And now we learn, according to Politico, MSNBC and Fox News are capitalizing on the president's TV viewing habits. They are dramatically increasing advertising rates for people who want to advertise their position on various issues as companies and outside groups try to influence him and his top lieutenants. The ad rates for Morning Joe have more than doubled after the election, according to one media buyer. Trump, who reportedly watches the show most mornings, has a close relationship with host Joe Scarborough. They talk regularly. You might have gathered this from the hot mic tape we aired on this program way back last March, which Joe denounced. Uh, Fox News, O'Reilly Factor and other primetime programs on Fox News have boosted their advertising rates about 50 percent. Trump also watches those primetime shows, said one media buyer, the president's media habits are so predictable advertisers migrate to those areas, you know, like flies to one prominent DC consultant said some of his clients, including a big bank and major pharmaceutical company were negotiating to buy ads on O'Reilly and Morning show because they knew they had a good chance of reaching the president. He's also been known to respond directly to what he's watching on television and tweet statistics and topics based on what he sees on the air. Instead of lobbying Through the usual channels, it's like speaking directly into the president's ear, said the D.C. consultant. He also said some companies are proactively placing ads in order to avoid a Trump tweet, or at least in one instance trying to prompt Trump to tweet against their competitors. Yes, indeed, everything's changed. Except, hello, welcome to the show. (laughs)
2: Achieve a sin
0: from London, England, where I had the pleasure of giving that guy a Lifetime Achievement Award this week. Well, we all achieve our lifetimes, don't we? I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen.
3: He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah.
0: News of inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Guys, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Podcast. An email from the Trump transition team on the evening of January 13th instructed all transition team leaders to, quote, reach out and tonight and inform, quote, the inspectors General in their agencies, quote, that they are being held over on a temporary basis, unquote. That email from Katie Giblin, or Giblin, I love the Giblins. A member of the presidential transition team confirms a story the Washington Post reported in a week or so ago that inspectors general, who by tradition have open ended appointments regardless of party, had been told they would be held over only on a temporary basis and that they should seek other employment. The email shows the effort to replace the inspectors was not limited to a handful of agencies. It was intended to take aim at inspectors general across all government departments. This from the Washington Post. Moreover, The email from Giblin, 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 suggests involvement at a more senior level of the transition. The email urges transition team leaders to report back to her or a person whose name is blacked out in the document, presented at a hearing this week. A person familiar with the email said the other person is Justin Clark, a Republican lawyer, who was deputy national political director of the Trump campaign and has been named deputy assistant to the president. Deputy assistant. I always wondered about that. Deputy, the, uh. Federal government job descriptions. Deputy under-assistant for the undersecretary of the thing. Anyway, who has been named deputy assistant to the president and White House director of intergovernmental affairs is Mr. Justin Clark. The email was obtained by members of the House Oversight Committee. The uh, Democrat on the committee, Elijah Cummings, ooh, uh, said... Uh, the email demonstrates that these calls were not belated, uh, sorry, isolated incidents. He said whoever approved these calls had absolutely horrendous judgment. Well, yeah. However, the Republican chairman said the White House had told him the phone calls to inspectors general were a mistake and the work of a, quote, junior person, unquote. <laughs> a junior person. Now, that, that's hierarchical speak, I think. It doesn't mean that he hasn't yet achieved... Uh, Well, that the balls haven't dropped. The Inspector General were later told to disregard the initial calls. Um, A couple of things have happened in these first couple of weeks. Uh, Backtracks, walking back. Tendencies that uh, were uh, on first glance frightening, alarming, disturbing. So... um, I don't know, take from that what you will. I'm taking from that, this. News of the Olympic Movement. (laughs) Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Let's go down to Rio. You remember? They had the Olympics just last year. Now, it's time to take advantage of the Olympic heritage, the legacy. Just months after the Olympics, a dispute over the management of the Maracanã Stadium has erupted between the state and the city's football federation. The building was damaged by looters in January since laying empty as clubs and authorities argue over who should manage it, according to the BBC. The city's football federation said windows were smashed and items were stolen. The Maracanã, built to host the World Cup in 1950, is owned by Rio de Janeiro state government, which has been hit hard by the country's Economic crisis. The stadium underwent costly modernizations for the 2014 and the World Cup and the 2016 Olympic Games. The federation said the worries over the present and the future of the stadium are only increasing. But more about the Maracana Stadium. The power remains off there, according to the Associated Press, in a fight over who will pay a $1 million electricity bill. How about NBC? How about Budweiser? Electricity was shut off a week ago. On Thursday, the electric utility said it would remain off until someone pays the bill. The consortium running the stadium owes the bill, although the consortium disputed that. The uh, electric company said some of the bill was owed by Olympic Games organizers who used the stadium, as you may remember, for the opening and closing ceremonies as well as soccer matches. The stadium has fallen into disrepair. Hundreds of seats ripped out by vandals and dumped into a ground-level enclosure. Television sets were also stolen. And the field is brown from a lack of water. You don't need water after an Olympics, do you? Here comes nobody marching in. Artificial turf around the edge of the field has also been ripped up. According to the Associated Press, no events are planned at the stadium. Ladies and gentlemen, your Olympic legacy. It's the Olympics, and we all need one every day. All right, enough of that. And now to our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia may increase its oil investments in the United States. Why would they do that? Uh, Due to a more fossil fuel energy policy, more fossil fuel-oriented energy policy by the Trump administration. This is according to the Saudi Arabia energy minister. Trump uh, campaigned on a promise that uh, the U.S. should boost its energy independence from oil cartels such as OPEC, of which Saudi Arabia is de facto leader and the group's largest producer. But the Ministry of Energy, Industry and Mineral Resources, Khalid al-Falih, told the BBC, there are large areas of alignment in interests between Saudi Arabia and the United States. Quote, President Trump has policies which are good for the oil industries, and I think we have to acknowledge it. He has steered away from excessively anti-fossil fuels, unrealistic policy, Falih told the BBC. I think he wants a mixed energy portfolio that includes oil, gas, renewables, and make sure that the American economy is competitive. We want the same in Saudi Arabia, he said. I think uh, he said that. Uh, Last year, Saudi Arabia unveiled sweeping plans aiming to end the kingdom's addiction to oil, words once spoken by uh, former President George W. Bush. That helped. And transform it into a global investment power through a reform plan called Vision 2030. Check back with them in 2031, won't you? Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia.
3: On the
0: subject... Of energy. News the war, won't you?
4: Soft, listen to the war. We can listen to the war.
0: Yes, we can. Excuse me. Falling costs of electric vehicles and solar panels could halt worldwide growth in demand for oil and coal by 2020, according to a new report reported on in The Guardian. A scenario that takes into account the latest cost reduction projections for the green technologies and countries' pledges to cut emissions finds that solar power and electric vehicles are, quote, game changers, unquote, that could leave fossil fuels stranded. Hello, Saudi Arabia. Polluting fools could lose 10% of market share to solar power and clean cars within a decade, according to the report by the Grantham Institute in at Imperial, Co- Imperial College London and the Carbon Tracker Initiative. A 10% loss of market share is enough to cause the collapse of the coal mining industry. Well, what about clean coal? Oh, they're, okay. While Europe's five major utilities lost uh, about uh, $90 billion between 2008 and 2013 because they did not prepare for the 8% increase in renewables, ac- renewables according to the report. Big energy companies are seriously underestimating the low-carbon transition by sticking to their business-as-usual scenarios, hello, Saudi Arabia, uh, which expect continued growth of fossil fuels and could see their assets stranded, the study claims. Emerging technologies such as printable solar vo- photovoltaics, which generate electricity, could bring down costs and boost take-up even more than currently predicted. A senior researcher at Carbon Tracker says electric vehicles and solar power are game changers that the fossil fuel industry consistently underestimates. Further innovation could make our scenarios look conservative in five years' time, in which case the demand misread by companies, the demand misread by companies, will have been amplified even more. There are a number, says another researcher at Carbon Tracker, of low-carbon technologies about to receive achieve critical mass. Decades before some companies expect. The cost of solar has fallen 85% in seven years. The report finds panels could supply 23% of global power by 2040, 29% by 2050, entirely phasing coal out and leaving get natural gas with just a 1% share. By 2035, electric vehicles could make up 35% of the road transport market, two-thirds by 2050. Under such a scenario, coal and oil demand could peak in 2020, while the growth in gas demand could be curtailed. Some people who study climate change believe that addressing it later when economic growth has made us all wealthier would be better than taking drastic measures now. But one of this group's most influential members has changed his mind, according to Bloomberg. In the 1990s, Yale's William Nordhaus was among the first to examine the economics of reducing carbon, Since then, he and his colleagues have mixed climate physics with economic modeling. I like modeling. It makes me feel so confident to explore how various policies might play out both for global temperatures and growth. The approach attempts to weigh in present value terms the costs of preventative measures against the future benefit of avoiding disaster. Nordhaus has argued for a small carbon tax aimed at achieving a modest reduction in emissions followed by sharper reductions later on. Too much mitigation now, he, sugge- he has suggested, would damage economic growth. But in his latest analysis, Nordhaus comes to a very different conclusion. Using a more accurate treatment of how carbon dioxide may affect temperatures and how remaining uncertainties affecting the likely economic outcomes would play out, he finds that our current response to global warming is probably inadequate to prevent temperatures from rising more than 2 degrees Celsius. That's the stated goal of the international agreement on climate. Worse, the analysis suggests that the required carbon dioxide reductions are beyond what's politically possible. For all the talk of curbing climate change, most nations remain on a business-as-usual trajectory. Meanwhile, further economic growth will drive even greater carbon emissions over coming decades, particularly in developing nations. The shift in his assessment is stark. Now, suddenly, the message is It's too late, that we should have been doing a lot more, and there's almost no way to avoid disaster. Maybe the main lesson, says Bloomberg News, or Bloomberg News, I should say, is that we shouldn't put too much trust in cost-benefit calculations, the standard economic recipe for making policy decisions. In the case of climate change, they're inherently biased towards inaction. Yeah, and if you follow the cost-benefit ratios worked up by the United States Army Corps of Engineers, to take one example... They're infinitely malleable, to put it mildly. Sweden's prime minister this week criticized climate skeptics within the new Trump administration and warned that all countries need to step up and fulfill the Paris Agreement. The Swedish minister in charge of climate policy urged European uh, countries to take a leading role now that, quote, the U.S. is not there anymore to lead. The new Swedish law sets long-term goals for greenhouse gas reductions and is legally binding for future administrations. China is investing billions and billions of dollars in solar. It's a game changer, said the Sweden energy minister. Everybody's changing the game these days. Why don't you just play the game? She said, warning that those who are still wanting to invest in fossil fuels will ultimately be the losers. Oh, now she's talking Trump's talk. We don't want to be losers. We're winners. We've got to win. Climate change can have a different impact on male and female fish. Shellfish and Other Marine Animals with Widespread Implications for the Future of Marine Life and the Production of Seafood. A paper published this week in the Royal Society Journal, Biology Letters, Tom? Uh, Biology Letters? it's really good. Has found that very little research into how males and females respond differently to climate change has been carried out. This is despite recent research on ocean acidification, showing that male and female shellfish respond differently to stress. (laughs) Like humans. Human activity and development are correlated with reduced carbon storage in wetlands. That's according to a new study published in Nature Communications. The study, the first conducted using soil samples from wetlands on a national scale, sheds light on the important role that wetlands play in storing carbon in the soil, keeping carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So, just another reason to save the wetlands. One might argue, news of the warm, guys, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
4: The sun shines. I just want to cry Cause I know, I know, I know Why the sun shines And sometimes, sometimes I You know I just want to cry Cause I know, oh I know I know why the sun shines Sunshine
0: From London, this is the And now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just a bit of uh, news from outside the bubble. Thanks to uh, the uh, newspaper, the Telegraph, we learn this: and the Telegraph is not a real telegraph, by the way; it's a real newspaper. So far, the Austrian Chancellor Christian Kern Crane said uh, Donald Trump's ban on travelers from some Muslim-majority countries, was, quote, highly problematic. This is from Austria, ladies and gentlemen. He added, quote, we should, oh, sorry, this that's from Austria, guys. <laughs> he added, quote, we should win these countries as allies in the fight against radical Islamism, not as adversaries, and we shouldn't corner them, unquote. He went on to highlight, this is the, uh, I think, interesting part, not said by many, he went on to highlight what he described as, quote, America's responsibility for the refugee flows through the way it intervened militarily in the Middle East, unquote. What? You mean we, inter- we, I thought we, we were just sitting here minding our own, oh, I shouldn't have thrown that away. I-, I tossed that piece of paper away prematurely, and then I had to go retrieve it. I'm just narrating now, my physical activities for you, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's com- comical enough that Adrian is laughing, the engineer, because I bumped my headphone <laughs> on the furniture. Anyway, yes, um, we uh, we intervene militarily. Isn't that wild? The uh, the ban described by uh, Christian Crane um, was the subject of much semantic controversy as well as controversy in the courts, of course, Um as of this broadcast or podcast moment, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in the uh, Western United States and San Francisco, I believe, has refused to upset the order by a judge in Washington state staying the enforcement of the president's executive order regarding immigration and refugees. But as I say, there was a, a, a big semantic kerfuffle uh, in, early in the week regarding whether this should be called a ban. The word ban had been bandied about by the administration, but uh, at a, a press conference, I believe, on Tuesday, uh, presidential press secretary Sean Spicer said it's not a ban, and then... He was pointed to examples where the administration had used the word ban, and he said, "Well, and, and there was a big, big back and forth about that." And uh, CNN, I thought, I, I think, put together a montage of incidents where the administration used the word ban, and then Sean Spicer said it's not a ban. The president this weekend is in Mar-a-Lago, his uh, resort that he bought from uh, some heiress uh, down in down Florida way. Um, according to CNN, he has not tweeted yet today. Of course, the, the the day is young, but usually he tweets, well, I, I w- was going to say first thing in the morning, but I'm going to uh, attribute to him some sense of normalcy. I'm going to guess second thing or maybe in in the midst of the first thing while seated on the first thing. Um, but the other, uh, other controversies, of course, have swirled about the administration this week. Kellyanne Conway, uh, who has some high-ranking job in communications in the administration, uh, referred in an interview with Chris Matthews on Thursday to the Bowling Green Massacre, which we now know definitively didn't happen. Um, And she said, I I just used one word wrong. The word was, of course, massacre. Uh, She was offered to CNN as a guest on the, the CNN Sunday Yak show all the other Sunday yak shows uh, were gifted with Vice President Mike Pence, but he was uh, embargoed from CNN, and CNN, in a, uh, a move of robust bravery and courage, turned down Kellyanne Conway. This is the network that broadcast all of Trump's rallies live all throughout the campaign. Finally, they're taking a stand, and there are reports, both private that I've I'm privy to and in the uh, public press that. Behind the scenes, the uh, rather troubled rollout of the immigration-related executive order has prompted major tussling behind the scenes between former Republican National Chairman Reince Priebus and uh, the former publisher of Breitbart News, Steve Bannon, Priebus being cast as sort of the... Responsible Republican establishment guy, and uh, Bannon as the bomb thrower. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but as I say, this weekend, sort of the, the uh, really pell-mell pace of the first two weeks, which, in my opinion, my humble opinion, was basically constituting a show called Look, See, I'm Doing What I Told You I'd Do, uh, has uh, slowed down at least for
1: the weekend in Mar-a-Lago. This week, for the first time, the boardrooms springs some leaks, the protests continue, and for the people vying for the approval of the businessman turned president, the action moves south to Florida, and so do they. Is this thing on? It's the best PA system in the world, it better be on, as Steve Banner is going to have to put on some overalls. Of course, for him that would be dressing up. So, is everybody enjoying Mar-a-Lago? See, so, so many people say it's the most beautiful resort in the world. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, me too. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good place to get away from all the controversies and the lying media. You know, now they're trying to destroy Kellyanne for saying massacre. For one word, they're going to decimate her. It's a disgrace. And maybe there was a massacre at Bowling Green, but the lying media just isn't going to tell you about it. Anyway, enjoy the food, the booze, you know, is on me as well, so don't enjoy too much of that. And before you really start enjoying yourselves, I, uh, I have a task for all of you. I know you weren't expecting this, but that just means you weren't paying attention when we were rehearsing in here. The terrific Stephen Miller wrote this song, it might remind you of another song, but not so much that we have to pay royalties, <laughs> and your task is to listen, and to clap like crazy when it's over. Can you do that? Okay, alright, this, uh, this is the best, thank you, this is the best trio in Palm Beach, Rush Limbaugh recommended them, and they are so expensive, so you really do gotta listen. Quiet, quiet. This is dedicated to all the media and judges that don't understand our big executive order from last week. I don't think they want to understand it, but uh, here we go. A
3: hose won't always get you hosed. A pose isn't always posed. And a pledge is still a pledge. Even if it takes us right to the edge. But a band is not a ban Unless the baddest, baddest man Is kept away from the U.S.A. U.S.A., U.S.A., stay with me now. U.S.A., U.S.A., USA, USA, USA. you know the words. Can be dopey and unreal. And a call is just a call, even if it's been leaked to all. But a ban is not a ban because extreme vetting can often seem not so extreme
1: extreme betting everybody who's not for it get out of here judges
3: keep holding grudges you know they do as if as if They
1: make the law, but they don't, believe me. Suits don't scare me,
3: after all I sell them, so many men wear. fear even when the danger isn't near and a poll it's still a poll and the ratings say Arnold's in a hole but a ban is not a ban though we might add Afghanistan and it's not so new, to wonder what is true, what is true, what is true, I love you.
1: Thank you. That bar is closed, by the way, but the food is getting stale, so enjoy it fast. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make this format great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. Via Presidentis. This week, bigger than the Super Bowl or else. And now, ladies
0: uh, and now, guys, the apology of the week. Harden. hard change like that.
3: So sorry.
0: Change is easy. Okay. Uber has apologized for promoting surge pricing to and from JFK airport in New York during a protest and taxi strike after the enactment of the executive order about uh, refugees and visa holders. Protests gathered at the airport and the Taxi Workers Alliance called for a stop on pickups from the airport. Uber announced that riders could go to and from JFK without surge pricing prompting major public backlash that the company was taking advantage of the situation, leading to a trending delete Uber hashtag. We're sorry for any confusion about our earlier tweet. It was not meant to break up any strike, a spokesperson for Uber said. We wanted the people know they could use Uber to get to and from JFK at normal prices. And we're so pro-U... No, they're not. On Sunday afternoon, the last week, Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport officials announced that nine plane passengers held since arriving... Uh, the day before were cleared by customs to be released to their families with which they were reunited. Dallas Mayor Mike Rawlings greeted the detainees at the Center for American-Islamic Relations and apologized to them. He tweeted, from the bottom of my heart I apologize to those detained this weekend and their families. Wait, he greeted them and then tweeted them. Tweeted the apology. Why didn't he just say it to them? Because he wanted you to know. That's why. Now to the world of ultimate fighting. Ultimate fighting championship star and the reigning women's bantamweight champion, Amanda Nunez, has admitted she was hurt and mad after her victory over Ronda Rousey. And that was the reason she blew up and said bad words about her opponent. The Brazilian fighter issued an apology to the California-born Rousey, whom she defeated in 48 seconds to retain her bantamweight title last December. Nunez posted a picture of Rousey in a stroller being pushed by the champion and told reporters it's not worth talking about the former champion as she's going to retire and concentrate on making movies. These sound like wrestlers, don't they? The entire... That night, I can't hold myself. It was too much for me. It was me and my girlfriend against the world the whole week. Not about me. Everything about Rousey. I was the champion, and to hold that in was pretty hard, it hurt me a bit. It hurt me a lot. I was P.O.'d. I kept everything inside. I was mad already. Imagine if I kept saying, I'm mad, I'm mad. It's another level. After that fight, I blow up. I'm sorry for the words that I said after. I said a couple of bad words. I never said that before. I don't want people to remember that moment. I know it's recorded, but I want people to know who I am. The way that fight was built, it was crazy. I've never fought mad before. That was the first fight in my career I fought mad. I was mad. Even after the fight, I was still mad. Rousey is the longest reigning bantamweight champion and... At least one uh, news service says she's solely responsible for putting women's ultimate fighting championship on the map. Good on you, girl. A North London mosque has won an apology and damages from the Reuters news service, Thomson Reuters, who owns it, after it was erroneously included on a global database linking it to terrorism activities. Finsbury Park Mosque said Thomson Reuters had agreed to pay about $12,000 in damages, plus legal costs, as well as making a statement of regret world check a subsidiary of Thomson reuters had compiled a database for leading banks financial institutions and other financial organizations following the risk assessment only for subscribers the mosques bank hsbc closed its account and other banks refused to take the mosques account hsbc of course famous for having handled the accounts of terrorists and um, Drug lords having laundered their money, having paid billions of dollars in penalties to the U.S. government, and I think to the U.K. government as well, but they wouldn't handle this mosque. Sarah Mansouri, representing the company that now runs the mosque, said the mosque was the subject of profile reports that placed it in the terrorism category. That, she said, this, she said, was wrong. Profile referred to press reports and allegations from many years ago, long before the mosque was reorganized and bought by this company. All right, then. We've settled that. Thank goodness we've settled that. But wait, there's more. After being sued for defamation, BuzzFeed, the uh, clickbait-heavy news aggregation and journalism website, has apologized to a Russian tech executive whose name appeared in the Trump dossier published by BuzzFeed last month. You remember that dossier? Um attributed to the British former spy Christopher Steele but done as a work for hire for opposition researchers in both the Republican and Democratic parties. It's the first time that BuzzFeed has encountered serious repercussions for publishing that dossier. It alleged ties between Donald Trump and Russian intelligence, not th- not Donald Trump ties. Alexei Gubarev, the CEO of XBT Holding, a Luxembourg-based web hosting company. Why would you oh sued BuzzFeed and its editor-in-chief, Ben Smith, for publishing the document. He's named at the end of the document, which he said, was, which said he was recruited under duress to help Russian intelligence services and became a significant player in Russian hacking operations. Um, the dossier included libelous, unverified, and untrue allegations regarding XBT, Webzilla, and Gub- Gubarov. BuzzFeed has now blocked off his name from the dossier, which is still on the site. We have redacted Mr. Gubarev's name from the published dossier and apologize for including it, said the PR representative for BuzzFeed. An attorney for Gubarev said BuzzFeed's apology and redaction wouldn't affect his client's suit. Sue on, babe! There's a particularly harsh reaction towards those in the entertainment industry who have made fun of President Trump's 10-year-old son, Barron, when, uh, on the occasion of the inauguration, I think, Saturday Night Live writer Katie Rich tweeted that, quote, Barron will be this country's first homeschool shooter, unquote. It immediately triggered a flood of angry tweets. Rich, an improv comedian who has written for Saturday Night Live for about uh, three years, deleted her account after the backlash. Nearly 79,000 people signed a petition for her to be fired. She now has been suspended indefinitely from SNL. She did restore her Twitter account and tweeted an apology. The only one of her tweets to survive deletion. I sincerely apologize for the insensitive tweet. I deeply regret my actions and offensive words. It was inexcusable, and I'm so sorry, she wrote. The Trump administration sparked fury from gay activists after it removed from its State Department website an apology for past discrimination towards the LGBTI community. Former Secretary of State Kerry published the apology on the website earlier this month for his department's past discrimination based on sexual orientation. That statement has since been removed. The move has been criticized by advocacy groups for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex community. The apology was published before President Obama left office. Hey, you, you lose, your snooze. And a leading theological college that trains priests for the Church of England has apologized after it hosted a service to mark LGBT History Month that referred to God, the service did, as the Duchess. Student priests at Westcott House in Cambridge organized the Evensong service in the college chapel, advertised as a Polari evening prayer in anticipation of LGBT History Month. It was described as a liturgical experiment. Polari is a slang language used by some gay people, according to the Guardian. A prayer referred to the Holy Ghost as the Fantabulosa Fairy and ended, Praise ye the Duchess, the Duchess's name be praised. (laughs) Psalm 19 was rewarded to refer to, O Duchess, my butchness. The service was an attempt at queering the liturgy of evening prayer, locating the queer within the compass of faith and recovering for the Christian tradition a sense of its own intrinsically subversive jouissance, said a printed explanation passed out at this service. The college principal, the Reverend Canon Chris Chivers, said this service was hugely regrettable. It used a form of liturgy which was not an authorized act of worship in line with the college's procedures, I fully recognize that the contents of the service are at variance with the doctrine and teaching of the Church of England, and that is hugely regrettable. The service had caused some members of the college considerable regret and disquiet. Chivers said he had spoken to the organizers and was tightening the internal mechanisms of the house to ensure this never happens again. The college hoped, quote, to make a creative contribution to setting a different tone for the debate on human sexuality in the church. But this, he said, was not it. Unquote. The Apologies of the Week, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. News of bad banks, just before we uh, wrap it up. It, you may have, I, I certainly have observed that uh, most of the crimes committed by banks are virgin crimes. That is to say, no humans were involved. That is to say, no humans have been charged and jailed. But the uh, HBOS Bank in uh, England is different. A former banker there and five other financiers have been jailed for their part in a uh, quarter-billion-pound loan scandal, 11 years, 15 years, serious sentences. The judge said one of the defendants sold his soul for sex, bling, and swag. So bankers have souls, ladies and gentlemen. For the defendants were also convicted, sentenced to between 10 and three and a half years. The group, w- the group was found to have siphoned off funds and spent the profits on prostitutes, luxury holidays, and a range of expensive items. Well, that's a lot worse than coming close to destroying the entire Western economy. I understand why they went to jail. News of bad banks, copyrighted feature for this broadcast. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR, worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the Mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations. Live and archive whenever you want it. At harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitch.com. And available as a free podcast. Hey, guys. Free podcast. At iTunes, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like everybody tweeting on the toilet, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. for this program a playlist of the music heard here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for that valentine of yours all at harryshearer.com a typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh Chicago and Exile and Hawaii desk thanks as always to Pam Halstead to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans and Adrian Bottom at Global Radio here in London for help with today's broadcast and me I'm tweeting, no, on a regular chair, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long, guys, from London.